Easter Sunday's approaching, and I, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and that's that's rarely a good thing. But um, I I started thinking, you know, Ken in his communion meditation, he talked a lot about the blood of Jesus being spilt on our behalf, and I think we don't fully understand Easter and the empty tomb without understanding the cross. And I think we have to go back a little further than that even, past even the nativity, the birth of Christ, to maybe the very beginning of the story. Because this is all God's story. And it's really important that we understand Easter and that empty tomb. And so I'm going to share some things today. Some of them I've touched on before, but I, I think a little deeper today than I've ever considered. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. I've always seen that as the first promise that God gave to us. That he would not leave us in darkness. And I think that's significant because, well, those words are echoed in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, and everything that was made was made through him. Nothing was made apart from him. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it or comprehend it. Light. And I got to thinking, as I always do, uh, where did that light come from? And I realized that light doesn't come from any of the sources that we imagine. Not really. Light only comes from God. The sun, the moon, the stars, those are things that God gave to hold the light. But the light was there first day. And it wasn't until the fourth day that God created the sun and the moon and the stars. So God is the source of our light. And God's promise is there in the very first verses of the scripture. The very first sentences where God tells us he will not leave us in darkness. A couple others, and, and there are a list of scriptures for those of you who are online. I don't know. I'll, I'll see if Eric can do a miracle, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, but there are, there are scripture sheets out there. There are scriptures that I'm probably not going to get to. But I want you to see the imagery of light that is all throughout, especially that of Christ. John 8 12, later Jesus talking to the people again saying, I am the light of the world. The person who follows me will never live in darkness, but will have the light that gives life. First John 1, 5 through 7. 
Here is the message we have heard from Christ and now announce to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with him and we continue to living in the darkness, we are liars and we do not follow the truth. But if we live in the light as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from every sin. So why is that important? Because God made a promise at the very beginning that he did not want us, his followers, his creation to be in darkness, without hope and without light. It's right there at the beginning. And I think it's, I think it's ultimately important because we understand where God is headed. Because we know that very shortly... Adam and Eve are going to screw this up, right? Genesis chapter 3. They're there before God. And they've sinned. And here's what sin does. And I know I've said this before. Sin makes us look inwardly. We care about ourselves. Adam and Eve made for themselves coverings out of leaves. Hopefully it wasn't poison ivy. And um, they made for themselves coverings. Adam didn't make hers, at least according to scripture, and she didn't make his. They made for themselves coverings. And God comes down, and this is, this part is so important. God comes down and he says, what happened? And the very first words out of Adam's mouth are not sorrow, they're not remorse, they're not reconciliation, they are blame. God, this woman who you gave me, is there any repentance there? Is there any remorse at all in the words that Adam says initially to God? I don't see it. God forgives him anyway, and they drive on. I hope that at some point, Adam and Eve sought some reconciliation. That they expressed to themselves the remorse for blaming each other, and that they came to terms And more importantly, I pray that they accepted God's forgiveness and sought his reconciliation. But it's not exactly recorded in the Bible. Adam blames Eve and God, and Eve blames the serpent. And continually we blame all the things that we do and say on everything else and everyone else. And we still do it today. I had a, I don't know that this is, I've struggled with this all week. I don't know if this is the best illustration, but I had an elder in, uh, in one of my churches. And as he was giving the communion meditation down front, there was an elderly matriarch in the back of the church, and she was talking to her friend out loud. And my elder, we'll call him Dennis, came to me and said, 
So I pulled her aside after service, and I said, we'll call her Verda. I mean, those really are our names. You guys wouldn't know them, so it doesn't matter. Verda, I wish you wouldn't talk out loud during church, especially during communion. I find it disrespectful. How many of you think that went well? <laughs> no one. Even when you do what the book says, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to, does it? Right? I mean, he, he thought he was trying to follow Scripture. I don't know how the words came across. Doesn't matter. So he came to me a few days later. And he said... She's upset and whatever, and it's all over the church, and people want me to apologize for her, and I don't know what I should do. And I said, did you mean what you said? Absolutely. I don't think she should talk out loud during church, especially during communion. Then you can't apologize for that. Did you intend to hurt her feelings? No, absolutely not then you can apologize for that. You catch the difference? So let me show this. Last year, for two weeks, we closed the doors of the building, and some of you, that hurt you, and I get that. And I'm sorry, it was not my intent. It was not the intent of anyone on the leadership at that time to hurt anyone. And if that hurt you, I'm sorry. We need to drive on and get past things. And some of us have said things and done things and whatever that we need to make restitution for. We may still feel strongly about some of the things that we say, but we shouldn't hurt people's feelings on purpose because of it. Does that make sense? Let me share with you this. <sighs> Ephesians 4. Do not be bitter or angry or mad. Never shout angrily or say things to hurt others. Never do anything evil. Be kind and loving to each other and forgive each other just as God forgave you in Christ. That's where we need to be. There's a couple scriptures that I think we get wrong. Um, there's a scripture, uh, everybody goes to Matthew 18, if you have something against your brother, you're supposed to go to him, and I, I get that. There's also another scripture in Matthew 5 that says this. So when you come to bring your gift at the altar... And there, remember, your brother has something against you. First, leave your gift at the altar. And then, go and be reconciled to your brother. And then, offer your gift. What that doesn't say is, and I'm going to go with Randy because he's a fellow elder and he can take it. If I know Randy is mad at me for whatever reason, even if I feel in my heart I've done nothing wrong, but I know he's holding on to something. Whose responsibility is it to go? It's mine. I have to go to Randy and I'm going to go, Randy, I'm sorry. I've hurt you and I don't know why. And I'm sorry. It's my responsibility to go to him. Because if my brother has something against me, I have to go to him. 
and seek reconciliation. It's what Adam and Eve never did. Does that make sense? I don't think there's really anything wrong with me and Randy. But there might be with some of us. And we need to make that step of seeking forgiveness and seeking restoration and seeking reconciliation. How much better off Adam and Eve might have been had they done that? I think sometimes we forget. We, we lose our focus on the things that are vitally important, just like Adam and Eve did. And we don't look enough to those things that are heavenly, that are ultimately important. Paul's words to Timothy, and, and then I'll quit this. Um, Paul's words to Timothy, as I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may teach certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths or endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some men straying from this have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. What that means is this. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And the rest of it is all junk that we can work out. Does that make sense? With me? This was a... Okay. So Adam and Eve are here in the garden. And they never get to... They seemingly never get to those terms. I don't know what happened after this. I hope that they sought reconciliation with God. I hope that they sought reconciliation with each other. I hope that they didn't just drive on and allow this to be a wedge between them for the rest of their lives. But I don't know that. And I think that healing begins when we seek forgiveness and restoration together and begin focusing on what's important. So now, they made for themselves coverings out of leaves. Remember the poison ivy. What did God do? This is ultimately important if we're going to understand the empty tomb. God made coverings out of animal skins. Do you suppose he found a tiger somewhere who said, hey, look, I'm not using this. Just go ahead and take it. Where do you suppose those skins came from? Something died, right? Had to. There's not an animal walking around who said, hey, you know what? I'll just give you my skin. I'll be fine. The punishment for sin was death. And at the very beginning... At the very first sin, there was blood that was shed. And all throughout the Old Testament, those people equated the shedding of blood with life. Blood gave life. They knew that. And so, the blood of these animals covered the sins of Adam and Eve for a while. And if we don't understand that, that whole Old Testament section where they're offering animal sacrifices doesn't make any sense to us, right? How do we make sense of animal sacrifices if we don't understand that a price had to be paid for them? And so all throughout, and I'm so glad the scripture that um, Ken read, I'm, there's a lot here in, 
in Hebrews, but I want you to understand this one. I'm just going to read Hebrews 9 because I so digress. Um, Hebrews 9, 18 through 22. Even, therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. All the people were sprinkled with blood. Saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with blood. And almost all things are cleansed with blood according to the law. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Why? Because the punishment for sin was death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Right? When I read that scripture about the blood being sprinkled everywhere. You see, I remember that from the Old Testament. But that section of Hebrews makes it pretty clear that they sprinkled the people. They sprinkled all the stuff around them with blood. And Jesus was brought into an area, and he was whipped, and his blood was sprinkled everywhere, including, because there's no way it couldn't be, on the people doing the whipping. Jesus' blood was on them. When we take communion, we are getting in touch with that blood. And so the tomb is empty because the perfect sacrifice was given in our place. I hope we can understand that. That that's the process of God's salvation for us. We went astray. We did whatever we desired. And so instead of following God, God came I think from the very beginning, had this elaborate plan for our redemption and our reconciliation. And I want to touch on just one more thing. Because I think we throw around words and we sing songs and we don't always know what things mean. And there's only one song that says this as much as, as this I, I can think of. There's a song that says... Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. Do we understand what redeemed means? When a manufacturer creates a coupon, this is a terrible example but it's the one I've got. When a manufacturer creates a coupon, they take a worthless piece of paper and they assign it a value. Here's the implication of that. You are that worthless piece of paper. 
I'm sorry, I am too. We have no intrinsic value of our own. We only have the value that God assigned to us. And when, and when a manufacturer creates that coupon, to redeem it means they pay the price, the, the value that they've assigned. So God created us, and he said we have value. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he's done. We have value. And it costs something. You know what it cost? It cost everything. It cost blood. It cost sacrifice. And so oftentimes, we drop our eyes and we argue about things that are so unimportant. But we need to seek reconciliation with our God. So that we can restore and become ambassadors for Christ to a world that is lost. Steve said it this morning, the world is in bad shape. And they need what we have. So we can't afford to take our eyes off the cross or the empty tomb. We need to send a message of salvation to the people who are lost. The only way they're going to hear that is through us. So we need to get together. And we need to do the right things. And so whatever your need is today, as you're sitting there, if you have a need on your heart, if you want to come forward, accept Christ for the first time, that's amazing. If you want to come forward and just apologize to the things that we've done and said throughout all this chaos, that's fine. If there's anything in your heart you want somebody just to pray with you, come down. This is your chance as we stand and sing together.